Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to that passage that we just read, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be anchored there, but we're going to flip around a good bit, which you don't have to worry about. We'll have the verses on the the screen. Um, Welcome. I'm, I'm really happy to see all of you here today. I believe... The Lord's going to encourage your heart as he's encouraged mine this past week, just looking at uh, this promise, the promise of salvation, the promise that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And we're going to dig into that and consider that um, deeply this morning together. And I'm just asking the Holy Spirit, uh, been asking the Holy Spirit to do a real work in our midst, in our lives today, in our families. Um, And so before we go any further, Let's pray together one more time and just really ask God to to move. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you this morning with um, a lot going on in in our lives. Individuals coming here with with different weights that they're carrying, different uh, concerns or uh, struggles today. Lord, um, things weighing on our hearts, but God, I just pray that we'd be able to lay those things down right now, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us ears to hear what you have to say, Lord, and that we could um, see how wonderful this is, that you have offered to us salvation from sins. I pray, Lord, that through this feeble mouth you would speak, that you would allow your word to go forth with power and to pierce hearts, and that today people would be set free from sin. God, today, that salvation would come, all for your glory, so that the name of Jesus would be lifted high. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
So, the question that Lucius set up for us and that I want you to be considering is, why this promise? Why, when an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, why this? Why does he say that this Jesus will save his people from their sins? Of all the different things that he could have come to save people from, he is the Son of God after all. Why their sins? What, what is it about our sins that, that make this the thing that Jesus came to save from? He says in this verse, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So it seems that there is a connection between the name Jesus and this salvation. And, and, and there is. The name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. And if you're a little bit familiar with the Old Testament, Joshua was the one that, uh, that, that uh, led God's people into the promised land. He, he led them, he conquered giants, conquered uh, these fortified cities, conquered these great armies in order to lead his people into the promised land. And Jesus is going to be the Savior like that. In, in a sense, he is going to be a savior who's going to usher his people into the true promised land. And in order to do that, there's something that they must be saved from. And it's not giants and, it, and it's not fortified cities and it's not great armies. It's their sins. It's their sin that they must be saved from. He doesn't say he will save his people from their sadness, though he will. He doesn't say he will save his people from their shame, though he will. He doesn't say he will save his people from the devil and the power of Satan, though he will. What the angel focuses on is their sins. That's what they need saving from, and it's what we need saving from today, right? So, why? Why that? Why that? Because this is not the only thing that the Jewish people needed saving from, right? They needed saving from Rome. Um, they were under Rome's thumb. They needed saving from corrupt governments, from corrupt leaders, both political and religious. They needed saving from oppression and persecution and unjust treatment and unfair taxes. They needed saving from all of that. But that's not the focus. Um, so we're going to talk about sins a lot. We need to have a, a clear definition that we can all work from. So let's look at a definition for sin. Uh, sin, very, very simply, is rebellion against God. It's wrongdoing. Um, the New City Catechism has a definition that I like to use frequently. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, not being or doing what he requires in his law. I like that definition because it gives us some ground to stand on. Why is sin a big deal? Well, because God created us and he created the world. He set everything up and sin is rebelling against him in his world. It's not our world. It's his. Right? 
It's, it's rejecting him in his world. It's ignoring him in his world. It's not living according to his law in his world. That's why sin is a big deal in a nutshell. So why would the Savior of God's people focus on saving them from their sins? That's the question I, I, I want to ask briefly. Why, why their sins? Why not? I mean, because they're being affected by all these other people's sins. But why, why their sins? Why is he going to save them from their sins? Why does he need to save us from our sins? That's the question we should be asking. Maybe today, um, if you were God and, and you were going to save people, you would save people from, I don't know, corrupt politicians or from, or from sicknesses or from um, big pharma or big tech, right? I don't know what you, if you were the one in charge, who would you save people from? I don't know, but, but I, it's interesting because God, who knows everything and who knows what we really need to be saved from, sends his son into the, into the world to save us from our own sins, from our own sins. And so we're going to look today, we're going to see that sin is absolutely what we needed saving from. Sin is the most dangerous and destructive force in the universe, and it lives inside of us. So the first thing that I want us to see, I have a simple outline, is that sin is serious because it's against a holy and just God. we got to start here. Sin is serious because of who it's against. Um, I've used this illustration before, and I think it's uh, a good one, so I'll reuse it. Um, If someone wrote you a letter from prison saying, I'm in prison, I'm in prison because I stole a pen. You would think, what in the world? That's not, that's not possible. Um, people steal pens from New King all the time. <laughs> you know? That's right. Um, we encourage that. Take those home if you want. That's fine. Um, but, it, but if you dug a little bit and you found out that they were a guest in the Oval Office and that they went up to the president's desk and they stole the pen that was the president's pen off the desk and went home with it, then you would say, okay, that's why you're in jail, right? Because it's different. Because it matters who the offense is against, right? It matters who it's against. Our sin is serious because of who it's against. Because it's, it's not against just some other person or some force or some energy or, or, or whatever. It is against a real, personal, holy God. That's why sin is serious. God's holy, which means that He is pure, He is, he is morally upright, He's perfect. There's this passage in Isaiah 6 that I think gives us a great uh, picture of His Holiness, Isaiah 6, 1-5, through 5, which we'll look at quickly together. This is the prophet Isaiah, and he receives a vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the temple of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, it's hard for us to imagine what it was like to see what he saw. But what's really clear is, I think we can imagine having this reaction that he has. That this, these, this is what comes out of him the moment that he gets a glimpse of the holiness of God. When he sees God, what is being declared in the throne room is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And when he sees this holy God, this absolute purity, this absolute powerful power, this absolute perfection, what what he says is, my eyes have seen the king. He says, woe is me. He sees in light of God's holiness his own sin. Woe is me. It means judgment unto me. I can't stand in the presence of this kind of holiness. Woe is me. Judgment is coming to me. I am lost. My sin brings judgment. My sin brings desolation. I'm unclean. My sin brings defilement. That's what we recognize when we get a glimpse of the holiness of God. And so the first thing we need to see in order to understand why our sin is so serious is it is because it's who it's against. Our sin is against a holy God. He's not just holy, though. He's he's also just God's holiness demands that he be just, you understand. If he is the judge of all the earth, and he is, and then he were an unjust judge, then he couldn't be holy. His holiness demands that he be just, that he not turn a blind eye to wickedness. And if he is the infinitely holy one, then all rebellion against him is infinitely wicked. And so a just God can't just... Turn a blind eye to something that's infinitely wicked. He's holy and he's just. Psalm 9, 7 through 8 tells us that the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. And what that means for us is According to Colossians 3.25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. 
This is what, this is the God that we've sinned against, this holy God who is just. And so the Bible talks about God's wrath toward sin. This is why. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. God's righteous judgment for sin is his wrath. And his wrath is on every person who does not believe in and obey Jesus Christ. So there, there's popular teaching out there that Jesus came and he, he died and he suffered on the cross just to save us from our shame. That's really what we needed to be saved from? It's a lie. It's a lie. The reason that Jesus came and died and suffered, that the Son of God, the perfect one, the Holy One, had to suffer on the cross in our place is this. Because he was saving us from God's wrath. He was not just taking upon himself our shame. He was taking upon himself our sin and paying for it. The wrath of God was poured out on him at the cross. So this is why our sin is serious. Sin incurs the wrath of a holy God. Let me, let me be really, really clear. Sin, not the devil, sends people to hell. The devil does not have the power to send people to hell. Sin sends people to hell. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 28. I'm sorry, 10, 28. He said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him. He's talking about God. Who can destroy both soul and body in hell? That's a hard doctrine. I understand. That's a hard teaching for, for people to grab onto. But it's true. We can't skip over it because it's hard. And, and, it, and the only way to understand it and to grab hold of it and to believe it is to start with the holiness of God. Because that's the key. It's His holiness that helps us to understand the need for His wrath for sin. You following me? Okay. So sin. Not, sin is what sends, sends people to hell. That's why it's serious. That's why we need to be saved from our sins first and foremost. It's not the only reason we need to be saved from our sins. The second reason is that sin is serious because it enslaves us. It enslaves us. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 8, He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In other words, there's no just like managing our sin. We, we fool ourselves when we think that way. Right? I can toy with this a little bit. I can let a little sexual immorality into my life, but just kind of keep it in a manageable level. No, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. 
Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. We we know this if we just stop and think with clear minds for a second that we're not in control of our sin. It's in control of us. And so when we let sin in, it enslaves. It enslaves. Whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. But the gospel says, Romans 6, 17, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. You were once slaves to sin. So we're going to talk about this more as we go along in this sermon, but there is something available to us to set us free from sin's enslaving power. But how does sin enslave? And I, I would say this. If you think that sin is just an action, you are, you are not going to fear sin like you ought to. It's more than an action. Sin is more like a dark force. Now, some of you are just lost right there. You're like, I'm following you all the way up until you said sin is a dark force. But let me, let me explain to you why I say that. This is... Um, the Bible's language, talking about sin. It, it, when you, whenever you see something come up in the Scriptures for the very first time, it's, it's usually very important. You need to zero in on that. You know, the word sin, the first time it comes, it comes up in the Scriptures is in Genesis 4, when God Himself is speaking to a descendant of Adam and Eve, their son, Cain. And He says this, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. What? That doesn't sound like an action, right? It doesn't sound like just something I do. That sounds more sinister. It sounds a little scarier. It's crouching? It, it can crouch? It has, it, its desire is for you. It has desires? What? Maybe, maybe this is just one-off way, a, a one-off way of God describing sin to, to an uneducated ancient man. No. No, because let me read to you the way that Paul, um, a very highly intellectual, highly educated man, Describes sin when writing to highly educated Romans. Here's what he says in Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Sin has passions? What? Yeah. It sounds very similar, doesn't it? it, it must, it, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's very, very similar here. Paul says, don't let sin reign. Don't let it rule over you to make you obey its passions. Sin inside you has desires, and you shouldn't let that, those desires rule over you. Romans 7, the next chapter, he says this. 7, 8 through 10. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. 
I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So sin has passions. Sin seizes opportunity. Sin produces covetousness in us. Sin comes alive in the presence of commandments. Sin produces death in us. You see that? It is more sinister than just an action. It is more right to think of it as a dark force of evil in your life. And that's how it enslaves. It's an active force within us, within our world. So remember that the next time that you're tempted to sin, whether it's gossip or complaining or self-pity or exaggerating the truth or lust or overindulging in food or entertainment or whatever else, remember that you're not making a decision just to do or not do an action. You're making a decision whether or not to allow a dark force of evil loose in your life and in your family and in the world. That's really what is at stake with sin. So that's um, just a quick summary of why sin is serious. Um, we could have gone into more. Sin is serious because I could have, we could do a deep dive into the fact that sin is serious because it's producing death in us. God told Adam and Eve that if they, if they went against his one command in the garden, if they ate from the tree of um, the knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely die, that death would be the consequence. Sin produces death in us. And if you've gone down that hole, if, if you, and all of us have, right? So think of the times that you went down the path of sin, in, in your life, and, and remember what it was like when that darkness spread in your life. That is death being produced in you. That's what sin does. All this is so scary and, and, and horrible, but there's good news. There's really good news. And that is that Jesus came to save us from our greatest enemy, which is sin. This is what Christmas is. This is why Christmas is a big deal. This is why we sing joy to the world. This is it. Because he came to save us from the thing we needed saving from the most and that we still need saving from the most. He came to save his people from their sins. And I just want to briefly look at that. He came to save us, first and foremost, from sin's penalty, from the penalty of our sin. The reality is that there's not one of us in here who is not guilty of sin. There is no human being who has ever walked the planet other than Jesus Christ himself who is not guilty of breaking God's laws and and that the wrath of God is not over because of that. And when Jesus, it says that he came to, that, that he would come to save his people from their sins, this is, this is what he did. When he went 
to the cross. This was the plan all along. It was foreshadowed. It was was prophesied in the Scriptures that He would go, that He would suffer and die in the place of His people. And on the cross, He took the penalty for your sins and mine. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, that God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. When He hung on the cross, the curse of sin that we just sang about, that curse of sin was placed upon Him. And He paid in full the price for our sin. That is why Romans 8, 1 can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why the gospel is good news. It's because sin is such bad news. It's, it's, it's that bad. It is that horrible. It is the most deadly, dangerous, destructive force in the universe, and Jesus dealt with it. He saved us from our sins so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He saved us from the penalty of our sin, even while we are still sinners, even while we still struggle and stumble and fall in this life We are still free from this penalty. There is still no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can still stand before God holy and blameless, not because you have a great track record, but because of His perfect track record. So He saved us from sin's penalty. But he also came to save us from sin's power. I want us to see this. He didn't just save us from that day of judgment and just so that we could go on living our lives as we always did. And then, you know, get before the judgment seat and God say, okay, not guilty. No, no, no. He saved you from sin's penalty, but he also came to save you from sin's power over you. It's enslaving power. Sin produces death in us. But when you come to Jesus, when you come to Him and and begin a friendship with Him and let Him be the Lord of your life and let Him lead your life, He begins to set you free from sin's power. Here is the way that Romans 8.11 puts it. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So you just imagine that before you knew Jesus, your life was ruled by sin. Sin reigned in you. You maybe thought that you were free. Maybe you're in this boat right now. Maybe you're here today. And you think that it, you're, you're in freedom because you, can, because you sin when you want to sin. 
But if you would stop and, and think for a moment, you would recognize that you're not the one in charge. Your sin is. Your, your sin is ruling over you and reigning over you. If you say, no, 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 I'm free, well, then try this. Stop sinning. Just for one week, just stop. Just see how that goes. If you're in charge and you believe you are, try that out. But the reality is our sin was enslaving us, producing death in us, in our lives, in the lives of those around us even. And then when we came to Jesus, he gave us new life. Like a seed planted inside of us and that life began to grow. That life began to have branches and spread and bear fruit and change us a little bit at a time. And it's still happening. The spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is giving life to our mortal bodies. It's awesome. Here's the way that Jesus put it in John 8. John 8, 34 and 36, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices a sin is a slave to sin. But then he says in verse 36, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the context of that verse. Jesus Christ wants to set people free from sin, from enslaving sin. And so maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. You've been... You've been a Christian for some time, but there is still an enslaving sin in your life, and you're thinking about it. It is, it is eating at you, gnawing away at you. You can be free. You can be free. Hear me. You, you don't have to be enslaved anymore. The cell door is wide open. And, and you're still in the cell, granted, but the door is wide open. You can walk out at any moment. This is the way that Romans 6 talks about it. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Just believe it because it is true. And suddenly you see that the door's open. You don't have to be enslaved to sin anymore because the Son sets us free. So, so first, he came to save us from sin's penalty. Second, he came to save us from sin's power. And finally, he will come to save us from sin's presence. Um, when Jesus returns, he will cleanse the earth of evil. We will receive glorified, sinless bodies. The devil and every power of darkness will be vanquished and will live forever in a new heavens and a new earth. Listen to this in Revelation 21, the first five verses of Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself 
will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That day's coming. He's going to save us, his people, from the presence of sin. It won't be in your fallen body anymore. It won't be in the leaders of the world anymore. There will not be sickness anymore. There will not be pain anymore. There will not be tears anymore. He's going to save us. He's coming. So the question is, who will be saved? Because, and I've mentioned this and hit on this throughout, but if you notice in the promise that the angel makes to Joseph, it's that he will save his people. He will save his people. This is not a universal salvation. There's no universal salvation. He's not coming to save everyone and everybody. Otherwise, I've got other things I could be doing right now on a Sunday morning, you know? There's, uh, there's plenty of things that we could give our time to on a Sunday morning if, if everybody's going to be saved, right? But, th- but that's not the case. This is for His people, for His people. Here's what John 1, 11 through 12 says. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So who are his people? It's everyone who receives him, who believes in his name. That's what the Bible says. Those are his people. So what about you? I want to just take the, the last couple minutes here to help you do a little reflecting. Um, what about you? Has he saved you from your sins? Are you his people? Have you received him and believed in his name? Has he given you the right to become his child? Maybe this morning you're here and you would say, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, maybe you would say, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I prayed a prayer one time with a parent or with a pastor. Or maybe you say, I went through confirmation one time at a, at a church or I was sprinkled as a baby. Does that count? Or... And here's what the Bible would say. The Bible would say that the only way that you can know for sure that you are His is if you turn from your sins 
In, it's called repentance. Turn from your sins and turn to him and believe in him. Trust him. That word believe in him, it's kind of confusing sometimes. Because growing up, I was, um, I prayed a prayer. I was baptized as a seven-year-old. But it wasn't until I was 21, 14 years later, that I realized that I didn't really know Jesus. I wasn't really his. So 14 years went by of me thinking that I was good. And if somebody said, do you believe in Jesus? I would have said yes. But what I meant by I believe in Jesus is like, I believe he existed. I believe he, you know, the historical figure Jesus came and did what he said he did. I even believe that he rose from the dead. But the demons believe that too because they were there. So there's a way of believing that's like believing the facts, the set of facts that isn't, that isn't saving faith. It's not the true belief that the Bible's talking about. When the Bible says to believe in him, it's, it's more like, I trust him. I trust him. What he says, I trust. I follow him. So it's more like that. It's more, it's more like if, if I were to go you know, out of town and say, hey, you, you got this, I believe in you. What I'm saying is I trust you to handle things while I'm gone, right? Not just I believe that you exist, <laughs> right? That's what it means to believe in Jesus, is to trust him. And so as a 21-year-old, as I was wrestling with this reality, the Lord so gently spoke to me and said, does your life have any evidence that you really trust me? Because you're still living in your sin. And I had to face the stark reality that it didn't have any evidence that I trusted him, that I believed him like that. And I remember the the moment that I got on my knees in my uh, apartment in college and I said the words out loud, God, I don't think I'm a Christian. And like 14 years of deception just fell off me. And I said, but I want to be one. And that moment in that room by myself alone with God, I, in the best words that I could, I said, God, I trust you and I want to follow you. And his grace flooded into my life. And I did not get up from that place and, and never sin again. But that moment in my life is a marker where everything changed. It's a clear marker and nothing in my life has been the same from that moment. And that's how I know that I met Jesus right then. So let me ask you, have you met Jesus? Do you have a point in your life when you said, I trust you, and I mean it, and I want my life to show the evidence of it? And if you don't have that moment, today's the day. You're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. God sees you. 
He's been leading your steps. He helped you to come to the decision that you made this week to be here this morning so that you would hear this. Turn to him. Believe in his name. And he will give you the right to become a child of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I believe in this room there are people wrestling with whether or not they are saved. I pray right now, grant to them faith. Faith to walk away from the sins that hold them captive. I remember weighing this out. I remember counting the cost, knowing that I would lose my friends. I remember what it felt like, God. And you carried me through that to the point of belief and surrender. And I pray you would do that for people in this room right now. That they would count the cost, that they would consider the sins that you are calling them to walk away from and that they would decide that you are enough. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for us to set us free, to save us and rescue us from our greatest enemy, sin. Thank you for saving us from the wrath of God. Thank you for, for saving us from sin's penalty. Thank you for saving us from sin's power. And thank you that you will save us from sin's presence. Lord, we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.